It's a curious thing to me that in John chapter 15, the first part of John chapter 15 is literally one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. And then we get to verse 18 of John chapter 15. And (laughs) uh, it's one of the most troubling (laughs) passages of the scriptures in as it hits me, I'm just sharing, you know, the impact it has on me. The, you know, Jesus says, abide in me, and I'm telling you this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full and uh, love one another. And, it, it, you know, it's hard to imagine a more positive message. And then suddenly, <laughs> he says this. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And when I get to that point in this text, I think, oh, he's not saying if anymore. When he started, he said, if the world hates you. Now he just says, the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you. Here's something I never like. Things that are done to me. (laughs) I don't mind things that are done for me or things that are done around me, but things that are done to me, those are almost never good. Anyway, he says, all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they don't know the one who sent me. Now, I'm going to stop there, because that's he's going to sort of shift gears a little bit in the next verse. Jesus, remember, we're in the middle of this last talk. This is, they're, they're going from here to the garden, where Jesus will be arrested. And the next day he'll be crucified. And so this is the preparation. And Jesus, I mean, you might entitle this passage or this whole sermon, I'm leaving. So it's, a, it's Jesus' word to the disciples preparing them for his departure. So it makes a certain sense, because these things are true, they need to be said. What to expect from the world? Now we're going to have to figure out what the world is. We're going to have to think a little bit about what it means to be hated or persecuted. 
But I want to put this in the context with this question. How does the world respond to the abiding, fruitful, loving, joyful, God-glorifying disciple of Jesus? The abiding, fruitful, loving, joyful, God-glorifying disciple of Jesus causes a reaction. What should you expect from the world if you abide in the vine? Well, this is what the text says. I just put a list here in the bulletin. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Therefore, he says, because you're not of the world, because I've chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. They persecuted me. You're with me. They will persecute you. All these things. Now think about what is about to happen to Jesus. And he says, all these things they'll do to you. And incidentally, almost everyone in the room when he says this is going to die for his association with Jesus. So when he says all these things they'll do to you, he means it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, we read this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, not are likely to be, not could be, will be persecuted. What should you expect from the world if you are an abiding, fruitful, loving, joyful, God-glorifying disciple of Jesus? These are the things you should expect. Now, Jesus says more than that in this text. He doesn't just say, this is what you should expect. Fair warning, everyone. This is what's going to happen. He also gives some account of the reason why. The, the reason is, remember, the world hated me first. The reason is, on account of my name. He says, you are not of the world. I chose you out of the world. So they were of the world, but now they've been taken out of the world in Jesus' choosing of them. And you, you might remember, he said, I chose you and appointed you that you would bear fruit. So he says, you're not of the world. This is his explanation for why they would hate you. It's like, you're not one of them. That's why I used as our title question today, what if you're one of those? What if you're one of those? Nobody wants to be one of those. Jesus is saying, look, you're not of the world. He says, they don't know the one who sent me.
You see, Jesus is explaining here that there's a hard division. Did you you see what he said? He said, "If, if if they listen to my word, they'll listen to yours. And if they didn't, they won't. If they don't know the one who sent me, then they don't know the one who sent you. He's saying something like there's a hard division between the society of fallen humanity and the community of those who know God in Christ. That's a tough word. The community of those who know God in Christ should not expect to find a warm reception in the society of fallen humanity. They should, in fact, expect the opposite of that. They should expect what he received. I'm reminded of John 1. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Didn't recognize him. For who he was. That's a hard word. First Corinthians chapter one, we get uh, maybe a little more on this. This is First Corinthians one eighteen. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It turns out that's kind of a hard division. Foolishness or power of God. It is written, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, hmm, the world cannot figure out where to find God. The world cannot exercise its wisdom and find God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached, the gospel, to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, Scandal and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
Now, Paul uses here in this text these two words, foolishness and stumbling block. And that word stumbling block is the Greek word skandalon. It's the word scandal. Here's how the world will respond to true, abiding, fruitful, joyful, loving Christ people. They are stupid and offensive. That's what we mean when we say the world hates you. The world regards you as stupid and offensive. You might even say it like this, stupidly offensive or offensively stupid. Wow. (laughs) How does the world think of you that way? All you're doing is loving people. You're telling people good news. This is not how people are supposed to respond to good news, by telling the messenger he's offensive and stupid. How is that? Well, I think we can get a clue if we look at uh, 1 John. I'm going to... Flip the screen over here to 1 John, chapter 2. Now remember, John, the guy who wrote 1 John, is one of the guys sitting here being told about how the world is going to hate him. Here's what he says in 1 John. Do not love the world. This is 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. We're talking about this hard division. The love of God and loving the world are not compatible. You can't sustain both in this heart of the same person. Wow. But here's the big clue. For all that is in the world. Now, this is that famous trio of the things of the world. You've heard this a million times, probably. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Those things that are in the world, these things are not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away. (laughs) And also, it's lusts, those three things we just read. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. This is telling us something about the nature of the world. And I'm just going to name three things here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The Sensuality is one of the things of the world, the lust of the flesh. So 
if the righteousness of, of God uh, fences human sensuality, the world is in rebellion against that. I don't, that, how could that be more obvious? The world is obviously in rebellion against uh, the right practice of sexuality. which was created by God, designed by God for enjoyment in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman, a man and a woman. And while I'm saying that, I'm, I could not be more aware of how many people in this world today regard me as stupid and offensive for saying that. One of the things of the world is that sensuality, the gospel, the announcement of the righteousness of God fulfilled in Christ is stupid and offensive in just that way. The consumerism of the world, the lust of the eyes. You could say this, this like this, uh, I see it, I want it. <laughs> It's the see-want response. I got to have it. It's the covetous heart. The scripture, one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not covet what your neighbor has. In other words, you're not, it's, a, it's a sin against the righteousness of God to see something your neighbor has and want it for yourself. The economy of the world is built on this, lust of the eyes. I see it, I want it, I need that. I, I, somebody else has invented another thing for me to see and therefore want. The Christian message of letting, letting go of all that I possess for the sake of Christ well, I'll just tell you, if all of us did that, the economy of the world would collapse. That consumerism, that lust of the eyes, real Christians offend that. Okay, Christians. That is not Christian. It is not Christian that, oh, I got to have that. Oh, I need that. Oh, I got to, you know, I've got to go do the Black Friday fight. That is not Christian. I think sometimes one of the reasons we don't experience a lot of persecution is because we're not that Christian. But I'm going to say that. The third thing on our list is what I would call personal autonomy, the pride of life. This is the, the impulse in fallen humanity that says, I belong to me and me alone. I am myself. 
you do not own me, nobody owns me, not even God. I am mine and mine alone. This is the pride of life. This is personal autonomy. This is, I think, what you're hearing when you hear people tell you how they identify. Who determines who I am? Me, and only me. This is also, I think, what we're telling each other when I say, be yourself. You know, the scripture doesn't ever tell you to be yourself. The scripture says, let Christ be in you, and then you're actually who you are. The, the, a biblical uh, framework of identity is identity in relation always, and primarily in relation to God in Christ by the Spirit. It's God who makes you who you are. And Jesus said, you know, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself. He wasn't kidding around when he said that. It wasn't just some kind of euphemism. He says, if you die, then you actually live. The, the gospel turns the world on its head in these ways. And the world doesn't just happily go along with it. Jesus says, you're not of the world because I chose you out of the world. For the self-involved, self-revolving human being, there's nothing good about the good news. This is what Martin Luther observed in his, what, what came to be called his theology of the cross. He says, where do you find God? Where do you find God? In the one place nobody will ever look for him, and that is the cross. It's foolishness and a scandal, the cross. He says, nobody regards the cross as good. And I'm looking around the room and I see a bunch of people here who did regard the cross as good. How did that happen? The active ministry of the very Spirit of God to awaken a Christian soul to see Christ where he is and who he is and to trust Christ. The gospel promises to deliver us The cross of Christ is the announcement of our actual deliverance. But here's the problem. It promises to deliver us from the things we cherish. Nobody wants to be delivered from the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Nobody sees that as a good thing unless the Spirit of God transforms their thinking. The gospel promises to deliver us from things we cherish. The gospel tells us that, tells me that I have no true identity as long as I remain apart from God. Who wants to hear that? 
that clinging to myself is losing myself. That the only path to full humanity is to abandon myself to another, to God in Christ. And I only do that by the ministry of the Spirit in my soul. By the hearing of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit, I came to faith in Christ. So we're announcing good news, <laughs> but nobody's hearing it as good. Well, that's kind of a problem, isn't it? This is, by the way, and this is a sidebar. This is why whenever you're going around announcing the good news, pray. Because God has to work in a person if they're going to hear it as good. But you know it is good. So when you say it, smile. When you say it, smile. So if all this is the case, you know, and Jesus is saying, look, here's what you should expect from the world. They're, they're not going to, you know, embrace you for this good news you're sharing. Quite the opposite. So how does anyone c- claim Christ and why? Why do you remain a Christian in this circumstance? Hmm. Is Jesus trying to talk us out of it? Well, I want to just look at Hebrews for a second. I always enjoy looking at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 32. So the writer of Hebrews says, Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. In other words, sometimes it was you they reproached and troubled, and sometimes it was someone you knew and loved. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted, listen to this now, accepted joyfully, (laughs) accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession. You know, one of the best things the Lord ever led me through was... uh, failure of a business I was running. Because it was in the, in the moment of that failure of sort of overwhelming debt and not much prospect of the necessary income to cover the overwhelming debt that I asked myself this question, what if they took everything What if they got all our money? 
our property. What if they took everything? And of course, we weren't being persecuted. This was just the circumstance of a business. But in that moment of asking the question, what if they took everything, it dawned on me that they can take everything and they've got nothing. They can take everything and I still have everything. That they cannot take the one thing that is everything. That underneath my feet in this pool that seemed to be (laughs) about to drown me, but down beneath my feet was a solid, solid, unshakable foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ, that I am safe in him no matter what the situation is I might find myself in this world. And so these people received, accepted joyfully They didn't just accept it. They accepted it joyfully, the seizure of their property. Why? They knew they had for themselves a better possession and a lasting one. If you have Christ, you have it all. The scripture says, if he gave you his only son, is there anything he would keep from you? And the answer is no. And in the end, in him, you have everything. And even now in him you have the promise and guarantee of God Almighty that all your needs are at all times met. Even when the world hates you, and perhaps especially when the world hates you. See, here's the thing, if you ask the question, well, why do I continue to claim Christ in the face of all this people thinking of me as stupid and offensive? Why don't I just let go of that and gain whatever they, whatever approval I might gain from them? The reason is I cannot unsee Christ once I've seen him. I cannot unsee Christ, and the world is wrong I'm chosen and appointed by Christ. He he chose me out of this world and appointed me to go bear fruit. He grafted me to himself. Those are not things that can be undone. Here's the other thing that helps me a lot, because I think the world we're living in now Christians are going to be more and more greeted with this hostility that Christ tells us to expect. I enjoy the fellowship of the saints in the body of Christ. So I'm not deprived of good society. In fact, I belong to a community that cares for me, that loves me, that extends the very love of God to me, the grace of God in Christ to me, that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit before my very eyes, that 
joyfully serves together in this amazing fellowship, this body that communicates love within itself and from itself into the world. I am a part of this great community with this great cause, this great message of, that is, in fact, good news. It's not just good news, it's the good news. And we do share that message and pray that the Spirit of God would work in the people with whom we share it. And in fact, many of those people, the Spirit of God does work in and they do receive the message and they, their eyes are opened. And in spite of this reality of hatred from the world, they trust in Christ and become one of those fruitful branches. And so there's always cause for great celebration in the life of the body of Christ. Even though the world's, the world's going to hate us. Now, there's a bunch of other lessons I just want to kind of throw in here, and I'm just going to try to rush through this through these observations uh, without, you know, going too long. There's a bunch of other lessons. I, I regard this in this point in Jesus' message in this upper room discourse as kind of a reality check. So what other lessons? Well, here's one. The world is only capable of approximating justice. So, because the world is infected with sensuality and consumerism and the pride of life, they, they, they never get all the way there on justice. So, I don't expect eternal solutions from the governments of this world, from temporal institutions. Now, we, maybe they can progress a little, they can do a little better or, then a little, or a little better over here, or they get a little closer this way or that way, but the solution is not to be found in the world's politics. So I don't put any hope in the world's politics. Now, I think maybe I thought of this particular lesson because, you know, in my country we just had this giant election, and what I see many Christians doing in, whenever we have elections in America, I see a lot of Christians putting a lot of hope in if we can just get the right guy elected, you know, America will be the great savior of the world. America's not the savior of the world. We already have a savior. So don't misplace your hope. Now, I'm not telling you don't. Vote for justice, vote for justice, but reserve your hope. Put your hope in the Savior, because justice will happen in the world when he arrives on the scene, and there's not going to be any election that day. I said I wasn't going to talk too much. I just talked too much about that. But anyway, uh, here's another lesson. I don't think I can make the gospel acceptable. I don't think I can make the gospel acceptable. 
Only the Holy Spirit does that. It's not up to me. So what do I do? What I do is proclaim the gospel as faithfully and as fully as I can. That's what I do. I proclaim the gospel as faithfully and as fully as I can. The world has a problem with the gospel, and we are not going to solve that problem the world has with the gospel by wrapping the gospel up in a good sales pitch. That problem is not solved by improving the sales pitch. That problem is only solved by the ministry of the Spirit in the heart of an individual. So just share, just proclaim, be bold. You're safe. You don't have to worry. They can kill you and it won't kill you. You're safe. Proclaim boldly the full gospel message. Be as faithful and complete as you can be. Don't worry too hard about making the gospel acceptable. Now, this is not the same as worrying about how to actually communicate it. That's, that's another thing. So try to be effective in your communication. But don't soften it. Don't withhold the parts that proclaim righteousness. Here's another lesson. I don't think I'm helping someone by affirming the pride of life in them. I don't think I'm helping someone by affirming the pride of life in that person. This is very likely, me adopting this lesson is very likely to result in some resentment. I want to resolve that resentment as much as I can by affirming a person as an image bearer of God. Now, that probably won't work. It probably won't work. I'm going to say, no, you're an image bearer of God. You are called to live in the righteousness of God himself. And God in Christ has made it possible for you to receive that by faith and actually live in your true identity as the image bearer of the living God which will have this result and this result, and uh, they might still resent it. Here's another lesson. Periods without persecution are probably not sustainable. I mean, Jesus is telling us what we ought to expect, what should be normal when Christians live in the fallen world. I probably don't need the word probably in that sentence. Periods without persecution are not sustainable and might be, I'm sorry for this word, illusory. In other words, it might seem like I'm not being persecuted sometimes even when I am. Now, here's another lesson I want to be careful to say, and that is the lesson of 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3. We read part of 1 Peter chapter 3. This is our scripture reading today. 
Peter warns you against claiming this, the world hates me. I'm suffering because the world hates me. He warns you against saying that when you deserve the suffering you're getting. In other words, if the world is responding to you being a jerk, then that's not what Jesus is talking about. Sometimes Christians are jerks. Like, we're going around trying to correct the world instead of announcing the good news. And if we get a hateful response for that, well, of course, and you should. So don't claim I'm suffering for for Jesus when you're suffering because you're a jerk. And then the last of these little side lessons is bless those who curse you. Here's what happens when the world hates me. I want to hate it right back. Yeah? When the world doesn't behave like I want it to, and when the world actually considers me uh, stupid and offensive, I want to get my fight on. I want to have an argument. I want to yell back. And yet Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Love your enemies. This is what Jesus did. He came into this world humbling himself, and then when he found himself in this world, one of us He humbled himself more. And when they hated him, persecuted him, cursed him, he humbled himself more. To, the scripture says, the point of death, even the death of the cross. He kept on loving people when people hated him. So, this is for us Christians. And by the way, the scripture says, for the joy, he did those things. Remember, you are in Christ. You are reconciled to the living God. You are indwelt by God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit for crying out loud, what on earth? You are indwelt by God. Almighty, creator of all things, lives in you when you put your faith in Christ. It's because the Spirit came to live in you. That is crazy good. You are made alive again in Christ. You are in the vine. You are bearing fruit. You are a reflection of the divine life into this world You are full of good, joyful news if you know Christ. So the world can hate you. So what? You can love the world. In suffering the hatred of the world, 
you are experiencing one more aspect of fellowship with God in Christ because that's what Christ did. You are coming to know Christ. Christ himself bore the the hatred of the world. So when I bear some of it, it's like I'm getting to know what life was like for the Son of God. I'm My fellowship with him is growing deeper. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, by the way, that I may know him, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul regarded that as a prize. So I experience this fellowship with Jesus Christ. I'm in suffering. I have the opportunity to exhibit his nature into the world and this glorifies God and I am becoming a full-on human being when I have this identity, when I'm connected to God in real fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit and that life comes through me into the world in the face of that hatred of the world for the life of God in Christ. It is a glorious, wonderful thing, a thing to be celebrated and enjoyed. So, this little reality check <laughs> is, is not a, okay, the life is joyful, but the, it's more like this, the life is joyful And it's even more deeply joyful when you experience the hatred of the world. That's why James, with a straight face, can say to you and to me, brothers, whenever you encounter various troubles in this world, count it joy. That's why. If the hatred of the world... (laughs) causes the water of my faith to run even deeper. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing reality. Lord, uh, help us. Help us. We need the strength of the Spirit, Lord, to endure these things and to exhibit your love and grace in the midst of these things, to look to you, to trust, and to continue to abide in the vine, to love your grace, and to exhibit it to people around us. We pray that these things would be true about this church and about the whole church everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen.